0: Romans. We're in a series. We're almost getting ready to wrap up soon. A couple more weeks we're in Romans. So if you'd open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 15. Is there a Kleenex box somewhere in the front row nearby? Phil, right underneath your seat. Would you grab that for me? Thank you, sir. Had a coffee emergency happen. Speaking of emergencies, I just I got to point out, I I know many of you probably didn't even notice, and sometimes it's better not to point out something, but did you see Kevin break a guitar string? And did you see him fix it and keep playing? Friends, as a guitar player, I'd sit there shaking my head going, how is he doing that right there? Because it's kind of like driving a car. There's different people that drive cars. If you're driving down 75 and your tire blows... Some people pull off the side of the road and they change their tire. Other people like me need a new car. (laughs) I bring two guitars to the stage in case I break a string. I just change guitars. Kevin just calmly added a new string, tuned it, and kept playing. That's pretty cool, Kevin. That's pretty cool, Kevin. He is a fix-it guy. If his wife is done with him at home on some of her projects, you can have him over to yours. He's great. He does great work. Tonight, the teens, we are going... Parents, I was supposed to send you an email... Uh, but, but we are going to the home of somebody from Oakwood that lives just, uh, just I'm 24 from the church. So you go uh, Oakwood Road to 24, and then a little bit north, and it's right there. Uh, parents, uh, we drive them from the church uh, in the bus. So all you got to do is bring them here at 6. We'll take them there and bring them back. But parents, I figure you might want to know where I'm taking your kids. It is Jeff Bessinger's house, ba- Basinger's house. Uh, men who were just there, we were just at a grill and show a couple weeks ago. Same house, that's where we'll be. But uh, come to the church, 6 o'clock, we'll bring them back here at 8.30. And then uh, looking forward to the grill and chill at Jimmy's Saturday. And then looking ahead, I forgot to tell Jim Bongiorno to say this, but looking ahead, there is that fundraiser cornhole tournament for the Amplify ministry. That's the farm ministry that my friend Ross is starting in Flint. Um, That happens on August 26th. So a couple Saturdays from now, we're asking people to sign up here. Um, I know you can use the flyer and you can actually sign up there, but we want to know who's coming from Oakwood. If we have enough, we'll take the bus and we'll go together out there uh, and enjoy that day. It's three o'clock on Saturday, August 26th. So if you want to play, it's teams of two and sign up here and uh, we'll talk about how we're paying for that. You can either pay the church and then we'll pay the fee or you can register online. But if you have registered online and are going, please sign up at our sign up so that we know you're coming. Uh, looking forward to helping my friend Ross with that all right friends i practiced i remember let's pray if you're willing to I'd have you say this prayer you don't have to say anything out loud but just say this prayer god since there's something you want me to hear i'm willing to listen just give that prayer quietly to god god since there's something you want me to hear i'm willing to listen god i pray that you would be glorified That everyone hearing this message would be edified and that Satan would be horrified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 15, 1-13. We've been studying through Romans for quite some time and the last couple of weeks, well last week we we started back up to finish our last push. Uh, We're reminded that we are to do everything in love. Love is the key. Everything must be done in love, right? And so we learn that there are difficult situations, and it all needs the salve of grace, the salve of love applied to those hard situations. And we're continuing on to that theme uh, about accepting others. And that I chose this as the title today, It Takes All Kinds, amen? The church is made up of all kinds of people. They're not all like you uh the church is a beautiful thing here on earth but it is our glimpse of heaven uh when we get to heaven someday i i'm sure there's going to be lots of variety in heaven amen uh there's going to be all types of colors and and race there's going to be all types of uh but none of that matters because the bible says there is no uh slave or free or 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 race doesn't matter The, the bible talks about all people are equal and we're going to get to heaven someday. And I know you're going to look around and you're going, to, you're going to be surprised to see people. And there's going to be a lot of people surprised to see you. Because heaven is that place of grace where all people are there because of the forgiveness of Jesus. In this passage that Paul, last week Paul talked about, some of the controversial issues, Christian liberty issues. Should, this, uh, should I partake in this or should I not? Should I say yes to this or should I say no? And we learned that you need to be convinced in your own mind and leave it at that. Keep it between you and God, but never offend your brother or sister in Christ. You might feel that you have a liberty, but you don't flaunt that liberty because we don't live for ourselves. We live as a living sacrifice. Christ is our example. And we move into chapter 15 today and he's still on that theme. So don't get lost. There's not a whole new section or anything. He's taking it further now to talk about your brothers and sisters in Christ. God's church. God's church must not be divided. I mean, I said earlier, it's the closest thing we have to what heaven will be like. A bunch of people forgiven of sins, worshiping Jesus. As simple as that. There should be no division amongst people. We're all sinners forgiven under the cross, so there shouldn't be any division, and yet God's church has struggled. The issues that divide the world divide the church, and it shouldn't be the, the world is lost and doesn't have Christ as that factor, the, the unity factor. And so without Christ, the world is lost and, and why not live for myself? If I'm lost and just living in this world, why not go for whatever makes me happy? It's all about me. And yet when it comes to the church, God's church has been divided and an attitude sometimes has prevailed and there shouldn't be. Hope is dashed when the church does not follow God's instructions. I mean, the church is the hope of this world. Jesus left us and told us to tell the world about his gospel. We are the hope. We are his hands and his feet and we are the hope. The hope given to the world should not be dashed by division. In 1990... Rwanda had a terrible genocide. It was tribe against tribe, bloodlines. Certain tribes, it was all about their bloodline. And if you weren't in our bloodline, we would slaughter you. And this is 1990. We're not talking about the 40s or the 30s. We're talking about 1990, there was a genocide where tribes were slaughtering other tribes in Rwanda. The, The terrible thing about that is there had been a great missions emphasis in the 19th century and 20th century. And 98% of Rwandans claim to be Christians. 98%, that's that's huge. 98% of these people have heard the gospel, accepted Christ's forgiveness into their lives and claim that they're going to heaven someday. And yet, those same people we're slaughtering other Wawandans because of the bloodlines. A missionary went before a tribe and said, what's more important to you? Your baptism into the faith? The waters of baptism where you said, I'm dying to my old self and raised to new life? Or your bloodlines? And they looked at the missionary and said, our bloodlines. We don't like them. That's an extreme case, but come on, Christian. Philip Yancey writes about the 1960s. I don't know if you know Philip Yancey, the author. He was a kid. Growing up in his church, and he watched as the elders of the church walked forward during the worship service and asked a black family to get up and leave. What's wrong with the church? How can there be division? How can there be such a lack of love? And I'm sure it's true that God's church is still divided over some things like race and economic status and political party, but it shouldn't be. It just can't be, and Paul's going to deal with that in this passage, Romans 15. And this morning, before we read the passage, I want to remind us of the two factors that are true of every human being. Every human being that's ever sucked air for free has two common factors. Number one, they're created in the image of God. Imago Deo. The image of God. Everyone who has life and who breathes is created in the image of God. Doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what country, doesn't matter what political party, doesn't matter what preferences they might have. Every human being was created in the image of God. And secondly, the next factor, every human being who sucks air for free is a fallen sinner in need of a savior. Every one of us. And it can boggle the mind to think how forgiven people can hate unforgiven people and forgiven people and be divided. It just shouldn't be. And so Paul talks to us in Romans 15 about this issue, And, and you just need to know it takes all kinds, not all the kinds of people are going to be like you or like what you like. It takes... All kinds, let me read Romans fifteen one through thirteen. Follow along in your own copy or if you 've got a digital thing, open it up. turn to Romans fifteen Romans fifteen one through thirteen. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. I got to stop there because it picks up on last week's. And last week, he was talking about the strong and the weak. Now, I hate to do this, but we probably ought to define who's strong and who's weak here, according to Paul. I remember last week, we, we said Paul made it very clear what side he stood on the issue. And yet he said, don't take sides. You know, he said, be convinced in your own mind and let people have their own convictions. And and But he goes back to talking about strong and weak. And, and in Paul's definition, the strong were the non-Jewish Christians and the weak were the Jewish Christians and they were weak because they were burdened with the law that they had grown up with. They had had the law and that's how they related to God and so their burden was all these rules, Sabbath rules and, and uh, cleansing rules and, and eating rules, dietary rules, all these rules. And Paul comes along and he defines who is the weak and who is the strong. Well, you need to understand, and I'm not picking on anybody. I don't want to take sides, but Paul did, so I'm just quoting Paul. The strong are people who are living by faith and don't need all sorts of rules. And the weak Christian is that Christian who has lots and lots of rules that they have to follow and they demand other people follow. Now, I know you don't like that. It might seem flip-flopped. Some of you are like, no, Pastor Don, you're preaching some free craziness that people can do whatever they want and there's nothing. Well, listen. Every person stands before God. We learned that last week, right? And so whatever you're doing in life, you're going to have to make an account of that. So don't worry about it. Nobody's getting away with anything. I feel like some Christians live with that attitude. They're getting away with stuff. And, and I think if you take a look back to this first, this church, early church, they had a situation where the Jewish believers had this attitude against the newcomers, the non-Jewish Christians, and they're like, They're not even circumcised. They don't follow the dietary laws. And I think I saw one of them mowing their yard last Sunday. (sighs) And and they look down their nose. And what Paul says here kind of makes us all have to stop and think. The weak are the ones who have lots of rules and demand that everybody follows them. The weak are the ones who say, I think God's preference is my preference and therefore everybody ought to follow my preferences. That's the weak Christian. The strong Christian is the one who lives in freedom and doesn't have to flaunt it, but also lives in love, right? So that's where we're at. we, We just took two minutes to explain half of verse one. We who are strong ought to bear with The failings of the weak. Now, bear with does not mean tolerate. Some of you might think bear with is, oh, I got to put up with them. I'll put up with them till the Lord comes. Well, no, that's not the attitude here. The attitude here is to help carry a burden. Bear bear with means, I, I want you to help carry this burden with me. So, those who are burdened with many, many, many rules, your goal is to not frustrate them with your freedom. And your liberties, your goal is to then come alongside and love and help bear up some of those burdens they're living with. So don't think bear with is put up with, because that's a negative context. It actually means come alongside and help. Everybody say help. To bear with is to help. The failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Verse 2. Each of you should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself now i 'm going to stop there and talk about ple- people pleasing <laughs> If you read this, you, you might come to a conclusion saying, "Well, wait a second, I thought we were told not to be people pleasers and Paul just says, "Please people, please people right and, and it 's not about th- the context of people pleasing is doing or saying anything to get praised from somebody else. You want to you be uh, patted on the back and loved, and so you act a certain way in order to get, and it's totally opposite here what he's saying. What he's saying in this first verse and second verse is you're not to live your life to give Pleasure to yourself, not to always think about your self happiness. So people pleasing falls underneath that category. Then he talks about pleasing people. He's talking about loving people more than you love yourself. So we ought to, in a sense, please people, but not to gain something from it. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, it's okay. Uh, Hopefully it'll come clear. We're actually God pleasing by pleasing others. Not people pleasing in order to get praise because that would be selfish again. And that is a good time to bring up this because, boy, how this keeps coming up every week. The definition of love. Now, everybody in the room except for Barry Tombs. Everybody in the room except Barry Tombs. Tell me what the next line is. Love is. Yes. See, Barry, I love Barry. You know, Barry, Barry, last week, when I got up here and froze and couldn't remember the, the opening prayer, he's in the front row telling me, here's what you say. Word for word. He knows. He's got it all down. So let's, let's not always count on Barry to carry us, alright? Love is the selfless, willing sacrifice. Now, if there is ever a definition of what Jesus did, here it is. He was selfless, He was willing, and He was a sacrifice. So we are to be a selfless, willing sacrifice for who? For the good, for the good of another person, even when they don't deserve it and not expecting anything in return. Love is. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't get confused. It's not about people pleasing. Let's go back and look at it. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up See, people pleasing in a selfish way builds us up, right? So we are to please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, quotation from the Old Testament. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scriptures, the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now everybody say hope. I wrote this in my side notes after writing the whole message. I realized how many times the word hope is in chapter 15, one through 13. I'll let you count them if you want to. There's a lot of references to hope. Interesting how Paul is correlating us living selflessly, loving others, and and not um, only living for our own satisfaction. How he compares that with having hope. And boy, does our world need hope. I wrote down in my notes, where can I find hope? Where can I find hope? When hope is gone, it's a terrible situation. Hope is everything. And so where can I find hope? So pay attention as Paul keeps talking about this word hope. He said, through Scripture... The encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And then in verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that is in Christ Jesus, or that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Now, let's stop there. I want to bring this up again and and carefully, I don't want to step on any toes today. But if you sit here today thinking, I'm not like all those other kinds. I was really easy to save. I wasn't that bad. I was actually pretty good. I was partly saved before I even was born. If you have those kind of thoughts... And some of you didn't struggle. Like you grew up maybe in a Christian home, in, a, in a, an environment where, where your parents maybe shielded you or, or whatever they could to keep the influence of the world. And so you grew up and you really didn't struggle with some of those big sin issues. You might be convinced that when God saved you, it was easy. It's like, it's like, oh, look at that Christian cake. you saved. And then the alcoholic who's living on the street Oh, he had to, He had to work hard to do. We've got to stop thinking that way. Christ died on the cross for you and for me. For those who grew up in a, in a suburban Midwestern American home that wasn't influenced greatly by the world and you still came to faith, God died on the cross for you. For those of us who know our sin issues and we're amazed every morning when we wake up that we're saved. (laughs) We're all together under the cross. And so he says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, verse seven. In order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glory, glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore I praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, the one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the Holy Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of Scripture. Let me give you a couple of points and we'll get out of here today. In light of what Paul has taught, number one, I must live with humility as my aim. I think that's the overall thought of this passage. I've got to accept others. I've got to stop living thinking I'm better than or they're worse than me or, or somehow I'm elite and they're not. Uh, We've got to stop thinking I'm better uh, because of the way I choose to live rather than somebody who's making a different choice. We got to stop judging one another and accept one another. Now stop there. Give me your eyeballs. Acceptance does not mean agreement with everything. We've got to I hate how the world has stolen words I'm a word person I love words And I hate What has happened since the 80s Is the world has come and changed world like acceptance And so acceptance now means The new definition of acceptance is I don't accept you unless I agree with everything you do And condone it And say it's okay That's the only way I can accept you Is if I'm in complete agreements with you And that is not biblical acceptance Or we would not be saved because Christ accepted you. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He didn't say, you're fine the way you are. I accept you, so there's no issue. No, he died for you. I can accept somebody without condoning their behavior. I can accept everybody <laughs> It doesn't mean I agree with what they do or how they're living. When it comes to the church family, Paul's made it very clear that we must live with humility as my aim. It's hard to do that, isn't it? It's hard when you really think somebody's wrong. And maybe that's where we're at in the political realm in the church. We're really strong opinionated about our opinions and so therefore everybody else that doesn't agree with me is wrong. And we've got to stop that. It takes humility, and that has to be our aim. We've got to aim at something, or we'll hit nothing. The Bible says I have an obligation. Back in in verse 1 and 2 there, uh, we have an obligation not to only please myself. We're good at pleasing ourselves. We do it every every day. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. We do. We we do. We we love us. We love me. We you know. I mean, my family knows that if we're in the car and we're driving down the road, we're stopping for coffee, and they just know it. They know it. They know we're gonna. It's gonna be good coffee. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I know the mom pop stores that roast their own and make a, And we go into town and we stop. And I go in because I love to go in and smell the the roast. And so my family waits for me because I love giving Don Jackson good coffee. I do. Now here's the thing. Some pastor would say, "Stop loving yourselves. Deny yourself coffee. Nuts to them." I believe, and this is my opinion, I believe that I can enjoy good coffee and still love others too. (laughs) You don't have to give it up. Just because you like it doesn't mean you have to give it up. Maybe for Lent, I don't know, whatever you want to do, that's fine with you. But I love coffee, I'm going to drink good coffee, but it should remind me how much more I need to love people. It's kind of like uh, my wife telling me yesterday, every, every time I see you drinking a cup of coffee, you need to drink two bottles of water. all all day long that's all i'm gonna do you got to drink two bottles of water for every cup of coffee right And, and i get that on so as a believer and i love myself and i love good coffee i'm gonna get good coffee but it ought to remind me i need to love people twice as much now because i'm enjoying what i enjoy so i ought to be loving others as much so i have an obligation everybody say obligation that word is hard obligation um Obliged. It has a, an idea of legally or morally. Maybe you understand. Maritally obliged. We're obliged. Men, get over it. You're obliged. Uh, I, I just spent a lot of time in the car with Julie this weekend. I love being with Julie. She's my travel buddy. I love her. I do, but I realize there's a there's a definite incongruity like when I stop for coffee, I always ask, you want to go in with me? No, I'm just going to stay in the car. Okay. And if and if we need to go somewhere and, and get something at the store, I'll pull in. So you coming in with me? She goes, no, no, you just go. Then we stopped somewhere. She made me. We we're driving down the road and she saw a farm market. Peaches, I guess, are out on the west side of the state. And so she's like, pull over. I pulled in, stopped the car. She goes, well, are you coming? <laughs> and you know what I said? I said, no, I'm just going to stay in the car. And she goes, come with me. I'm like, but I went, and I ask you if you, and you said, oh, okay. And I came and I shopped for peaches and blueberries and yeah, there's, there's a sense of obligation. And nobody likes that word. We think of obligation, we think of taxes, we think of work, we think of rent and utilities, We're obliged to do those things. But the Bible makes it very clear that you're obliged mostly to love others. Remember the definition, we're obliged to love others. My goal should be to put the needs and desires of others ahead of my own. That that should be my goal. And again, I'm not saying don't enjoy what you enjoy, but remember when you're enjoying, you got to double up on loving others now. Because we're so blessed, we ought to bless others. Love requires humility. In order to do that, you have to tell yourself, stop it, self. (laughs) Stop it. You're blessed. Now bless others. Number two, according to this passage, I must live with the Bible as my guide. Starting in verse four, we hear, it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So the Bible is our guide. When it comes to humility, loving others, your source, you need to bathe yourself in the word of God. Read it, read it, read it. Keep going back to it. The Bible is my guide. Scripture was written for our instruction. You know, some people are like, man, life is so complicated. I wish there was some instruction. There are. That's what the Bible is. It's our instructions for life here and now. Some of y'all open up things from Ikea and you put them together without looking at the instructions. How, let's just admit it. Come on, we're all sinners today. How many of you build before looking at instructions? Go ahead, admit it. Look at all these people. Go to their homes and all their furniture's wanky, it's fallen down probably. How many of you open up the box and read the, all the instructions before you do anything? Look at that. There's, I told you from the beginning, we're all different. It takes all kinds. We're all different. instructions for life are given to us by God for our benefit. Scripture is called in this passage our encouragement to endure. Endure has that idea of bearing with one, helping one another to, to, to last in this life where we got differences with other people the bible tells us how to do that it encourages us to not give up and then second timothy 3 16 through 17 those of you who grew up in awana ought to know this verse Uh, you should be able to quote it all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work so the Bible tells us that I'd, I should desire to be complete and equipped. God gave me this word so that I would have instruction, so that I would build a life the way he designed it to be. Complete, I love that word. In the NIV, they don't have the word complete there. In the ESV, it says that they may be complete and Equipped. Man, I want to be complete. I don't want to show up to heaven and I'm missing. I, I was missing all sorts of parts and functions. I, I don't want to show up partially. I want, I want to show up and, and God to say, yes, you, you did it. You followed my instructions. You're complete. And equipped. Equipped for what? Equipped means you're able to do something. So you're equipped to love. The Bible is our instructions, how we might live this life, not for ourselves, but for the good of our brothers and sisters. You've heard this before, the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, the Bible. That's what we have. Three, I must live with Jesus as my example. Verses five through 12, all of a sudden, Paul is like, let's look at Jesus. All I have to do is point out Jesus. He's your example. He's the prince of heaven who came here in flesh and he lived out these instructions. The instructions for living, Jesus lived them out he did it perfectly, we're not perfect, but we have an example. We have something to live toward. So Jesus is my example of how to do this, and so the first thing we point out here is that Jesus humbly denied himself. That The first thing Paul says, he did not please himself. I've often said this to you so you know it. Aren't you thankful that Don Jackson wasn't Jesus? Because, man, I would be an awful savior of the world. <laughs> i would be we're it's hard to live up to the standard of the actual son of god left to my own devices some y'all ain't getting in (laughs) only the good coffee and pizza eaters right those are the ones that get in right i i mean we but jesus is our example the prince of heaven the creator of all things became the creature and he lived this out That blows my mind that Jesus humbly loved others and did not choose to please himself. We know he made, you know, what, five loaves and two fishies? And we made food for 10,000 people? Some pita bread and, and tuna and he's got a meal. If Don Jackson had that power, I'd be making barbecue pop off all the time. I'd never go hungry. My wife gives me couscous, I would poof it into something like bacon. Poof, you know. Because I want to please myself. That's how we usually live, please myself. And and, and Jesus comes along and he had the power. Oh, he had the power. I might be being silly about it, but Jesus could have done anything at any time to please himself. He chose rather to love others. Wow. Just let that sink in today. He's our example. He denied himself. Not only did he deny himself by saying no to earthly pleasures, but he lived for the benefit of others. What a... What an amazing thing that the Son of God, the Prince of Heaven himself, lived not for himself, but for other people. So I must accept and welcome others like Jesus. Well, let's take a look. How did Jesus welcome and accept others? How about the Samaritan woman? She had more husbands than Elizabeth Taylor. And Jesus knows the commands of God about adultery. He knows the commands of God about fornication. But when they, time came for him, he tells his disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. And, and that, that sentence alone should make you stop and wonder because Jews hated Samaritans. There were as a, a racial divide there and they did not accept people in Samaria. Jewish people would walk around Samaria in order not to even be on the same ground. Think of Jonah right? Jonah, the reluctant prophet, told to go tell Nineveh. He didn't want to tell Nineveh about God. He knew they'd get saved. He hated them. And Jews were like that with Samaritans. And can you imagine the disciples when Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because he knew there was a woman going to be at the well in the middle of the day. And he had an appointment, a divine appointment, because he loved her. He welcomed and accepted her. Not her sin. He didn't approve of her sin. Do you see the definition? It's not today's definition of acceptance. Jesus loved people without accepting their behavior. He often would say, now go and sin no more. But he welcomed the Samaritan woman. How about Simon the leper? He's just unclean. He's diseased. In grossness alone, I would have rejected him. But Jesus not only accepted and welcomed him, he touched him and went into his home and ate with him. That blows my mind. We're to accept and welcome others like Jesus did, like a a Samaritan woman and a man with leprosy. What about the woman caught in the act of adultery? A sinner. She was dragged in the dirt before him and, and, and they begged him to execute her according to the law. What did Jesus do? He extended grace and mercy. While she was yet a sinner, He offered grace and mercy. I don't know if you're thinking in your own minds, who do I need to love? It ought to be going through your mind. Who's my Samaritan? Who's my woman at the well? Who is my leper? Who is my love, welcome, and acceptance? Nicodemus, let's not leave out the religious... The religious ones, the zealots, right? Nicodemus came to Jesus, a sinner, and Jesus welcomed him. All kinds. It takes all kinds. Amen? It takes all kinds. So what do we learn about this? A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. I love that song. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Every day we ought to have that as our prayer. God, make me more like your son. Help me to see people the way Jesus saw people. Help me to be welcoming and accepting and loving of people. Fourth thing, I must live with the Holy Spirit as my power. Boy, when we're talking about this, this is hard, isn't it? To love people that you don't necessarily agree with and to love people that aren't like you and and to cross all sorts of divisions in order to love everybody. This is hard. It's going to take humility. Humility is (laughs) hard, So, we're gonna need some power, amen? We're gonna need some help. You cannot live this out on your own. I think I wanna make sure you know that. What I'm talking about here is divine stuff. It is miraculous stuff for you to deny self and to live like Jesus, right? So, you're gonna need help. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is our power. Everybody say power. I need God's help to live his way. God, one of the best things you could do right now before you leave today is say, God, I need your help with this. Because I've got a neighbor who really irks me. I don't, by the way. I've got a you're, you're, my neighbor's here. And she's like, Oh, is it me? No, I don't. I don't have, Some of you might have a neighbor who really irks you. And God ought to be putting it on your heart. Okay, so how are you gonna do this? How are you gonna love this neighbor? Despite yourself, how are you going to humbly, you know, love people more than you love yourself? That ought to be a great prayer for you today. I need God's help. So, what do I need God's help for? I need God's help to live humbly. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. <laughs> I got to remind myself every day. Second thing is, I will need His help to live in harmony. Harmony is a beautiful thing. Dissidence is a terrible thing. In the church, in the church, we're to be in harmony. But we sound more like dissidence. When we don't humble ourselves, we just... It's, It's ugly, isn't it? nobody likes dissonance but harmony we all can understand (laughs) harmony thank my mom she made me take piano lessons that's all I got Five years, lots of money, a sermon illustration. Praise the Lord. <laughs> harmony, it's clear. Dissidence and harmony. One's in step or in tune. Or one's out of tune with God. We're to be living in harmony, especially in the church. There should be no divisions. Humbly, harmoniously, and I will need His help to live spiritually healthy. Are you living spiritually healthy? Friend, if you're living spiritually anemic, you can't be healthy. If you're living in spiritual atrophy because you're not stretching those spiritual muscles and serving, you're not healthy. And so we need God's help to live healthily, spiritually healthily, flexing our muscles, right? Not anemic, but strong. The Holy Spirit is my dunamis. Dunamis. The word in Scripture for the Spirit here is Dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. (laughs) I like dynamite. Dynamite's explosive power. And the the Holy Spirit is our power to live this stuff out because we don't have the power. We don't have it. On my best day, I'm one of those cheap firecrackers. You know, you light those. And I need some dynamite power. I need some Holy Spirit power power in my life to live out this humble harmonious spiritually healthy type living the holy spirit is my power for that and then here's the result i usually give a conclusion but forget the conclusion today here's the result if we follow god's instructions and if we humble ourselves and live like jesus accepting welcoming and loving others there's a promise here i think i read the last verse and i thought to myself i see something here It's a result. We will be filled with joy and peace. How many of you want joy and peace in your life? Yes, we we seek it. We seek joy and peace. That's what we look for. And then it's as if God doubles down through Paul. Let me read verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That dynamite power... Helps you overflow. I love that. I love that imagery that Paul says, not only does the God of hope give you hope, but he's going to give it to you so much, it's going to bubble out. It's going to ooze out of you. Remember how during COVID I, I, I told you that I felt like the whole world has so full to the top of anxiety that if you just bump them a little bit, they splash over with all this anxiety. Everybody was on the edge. All you have to do is nudge them and they're like, blah, blah. And everybody was yelling at everybody, hating everybody, vitriol. Well, the opposite is true for believers. We ought to be filled to the brim with hope, joy, and peace. Not anxiety and anger, but we ought to be filled so that we're overflowing with peace and joy and definitely hope. So when we bump into each other, hope should ooze off us and ooze onto other people. Amen? Oh. Friends, I've given you today an obligation and it's not fun to think about obligations, but we aren't suggested to live this way. I hope you don't leave Oakwood saying, boy, Pastor Don gave us a really good suggestion today. (laughs) I'm not giving you suggestions up here. I'm telling you what God's Word says. And it says we're obliged We are obligated. You gotta do this. You gotta do this. When you leave here, you gotta say, God, help me, because I gotta do this, and I can't do it on my own. I need the power. The dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. Help me see people like Jesus sees people. Help me love people like Jesus. Help me to, to empty myself like Jesus emptied myself. Help me to go all the way for people, not just part of the way. Obliged. Yeah, last night, Julie and I were driving, and I told her, I said, you know, we do a lot for our kids, don't we? All of you do. uh, Parents. And it never ends. Amen? Amen. I mean, the kids, we got, you know, people got this mentality that you got them until they're 18. Nuts to that. They're... (laughs) Uh, Julie actually wants me to teach a six week series on parenting adult children. We ought to do that, huh, at some point. It's hard because they're ours and we love them. But my middle child, Emily, and her husband just bought a new house in Sparta, Michigan, out in the country. It's an old, old, old house. Old house. And uh, I was so happy for them. I was so happy because they told us that while they were in an apartment, they weren't going to have grandchildren, not until they moved into a house. So they moved in last Sunday. I, I went there this Saturday. I'm like, where's my grandkids? I mean, come on. Where's the grandkids? Come on. I'm ready for grandbabies. But you know, we drove all the way to the west side of the state. And on Friday, we worked our tails off. Old, old home. and Nobody has really loved the outdoors for years. It's it's overgrown. Everything was overgrown. From morning until evening, we trimmed trees and shrubs and pulled plants. We worked and we worked and we worked. And my body said, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Well, we're doing it because we have a wonderful obligation. We love our children. We do. And then I thought about that, how I would do all that because simply I love my children. How much similar should we love other people? I mean, I'm talking to humbly loving people like we love our own children. The Bible takes it further and says, like you love yourself. I'd ask the team to come up and close us with a song today as we consider these things. I'd ask you to just consider in your own heart what does this mean? Who am I, who have I not been loving? Who do I need to see and love more like Jesus? Let's pray that we live that out. That's what the world needs. The, the Bible tells us they will know we're Christians by our love. 1 John. It's in the book of 1 John. They'll know we're Christians by our do they know? Do they know? Do they know Oakwood is here? Do, do they even? Does it even matter that Oakwood exists? We exist so that the love of Christ oozes off of us and spreads out to all types. Because you know what? It takes all kinds. Father God, in the name of Jesus, help us to live these truths out. In Jesus' name, amen.